Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Minnesota. Kristen Lyerly in OBGYN is on the Fox River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankshead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and this is Kristen Lyerly up here, and that's Pat Kreitlow down there, and this is a retired Army Colonel, George Mason, who who sidelines as the as the head salesman for Monaco Beer in uh, D.C. and has helped uh, set this whole thing up today. Say hi, George. Hey, Pat, Tim. Um, good to see you, and Kristen. Thanks for hey, all you George. guys do, and just to let you know, all my kids are following as well. So we'll see you, team. I'll be up on the fourth. This right. is the this is the weirdest start to a tour of Washington D.C. ever, and there <laughs> and there have been many tours there. Look at you out there. It's a little niffy. It's a little niffy, but this is the funnier story. So we were uh, we tried to do this in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, building because we're going to be talking to Jim Obergfell from Obergfell Obergefell v. Hodges, and um, and there's been so many protests because of Roe v. Wade that that they don't allow people to do stuff in front of the Supreme Court building right now, and so we the, the second place was obviously the U.S. Capitol. Well, obviously, <laughs> so you're you you look like you're a little ways away from there. Uh, what what all is in front of you? Any any other landmarks? Uh, it's the it's the pool. Yeah, the Washington Monument is, is right over right there. Yeah, in front of me, and then there's like this uh, this reflective pool in between. So uh, yeah, I mean it's the uh, it's everything, and uh, it's just so beautiful. It makes you what you will so do to do a talk show, to do a podcast. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I'm telling you, when you're in D.C., it makes you want to do more for uh, America and. I, it's so weird that we see all these congressmen and senators that are seemingly so corrupted. Because how can you be corrupt when you have such a beautiful architecture with our history uh, around this? So uh, I couldn't agree more. Let's not forget that the National Archives are directly to your right. The Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, like all of that, is on mm-hmm. your right hand side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A city built on on service, and instead we we have to continually have these uh, you know disputes either in the Capitol or in the Supreme Court about things as basic as you know liberty, freedom to to love, to marry. and that's a, a big part of what you're going to be talking about today to uh, Mr. Obergfell. Yeah, and it's Obergefell. I just learned that myself and I've been saying it wrong for for, oh, okay. for weeks now. but um, the uh, but before we talk, we just want to let ev- we just want to give a quick, Yay! And celebration that uh, Janet Protasiewicz uh, won the primary uh, for uh, U- uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court uh, yesterday, and uh, she was a progressive judge. She she got more votes than the two conservative judges combined. Uh, so uh, we are uh, the the U.S. is now in better shape because it looks like Wisconsin is poised to get out of the mess it's been in for only, the last only, 10 years. Only, 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 only if there is no complacency come April, because from now until April 4th, um, the folks behind Dan Kelly, uh, including the, the billionaires who are going to be putting money in to make up stuff between now and then, 
they're not going to give up. And so even though turnout in this primary was 20.5%, that is amazing, nearly 1 million voters. But despite all that, you still have to have the general, and that's April 4th when everybody needs to uh, show up and vote as well. So it's a six-week sprint to the general, and it's going to get crazy, not just with the Supreme Court race, but with lots of other races around the state, including mayoral races in Madison and Green Bay, lots of school board races. There's lots of stuff going on. So there's going to be an incredible amount of information and just excitement over the next six weeks. I'm so excited, you guys. <laughs> she is going to be a busy one. <laughs> I am excited, too. And I'm so excited. We're going to take a break and we're going to let Jim Obergefell in. And we're going to start talking about his life and this Supreme Court case that uh, the other Supreme Court case that's so important uh, not to be overturned. <laughs> about this Rufus Wainwright song that really called to you? Well, it's because, you know, from all that I've read about Jim Obergefell, who has just joined us, he's been fighting this fight a long, long time. And that Rufus Wainwright song was like, he wrote that in 2006. And he's like, I'm tired of America <laughs> because mm -hmm. just sometimes it keeps letting us down. And it's like, a Sisyphean feat sometimes. You keep mm -hmm. having to push the rock up the hill and sometimes it falls and hurts you. And so Jim's gotten up and has been falling down, has gotten up and keeps on getting up. Welcome, Jim. Thanks so much for being on the show tonight. Thanks. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So awesome. can I just introduce Jim as the civil rights activist? who was the lead plaintiff in the 2015 U.S. Supreme Court. We've heard his name over and over again. Obergefell versus Hodges. This was the giant case that legalized same-sex marriage throughout the United States. Jim, it's so incredible to be here with you tonight. Well, thank you. I, I'm really happy to be here. and looking forward to a fun conversation. Okay, so, so Jim, I want to do, uh, you know, start from the beginning because you know the folks that are listening are about seventy two thousand potentially seventy thousand beer drinking progressives in wisconsin <laughs> <laughs> right now hope to be hope to be wine drinking very soon and we'll talk about that in in, in the third segment but um they don't necessarily obergefell v hodges is for us political folks uh can you kind of explain uh you know briefly you know what why did you end up in the Supreme Court? Can you kind of give us the brief kind of synopsis? I'll try to give this as quickly as I can so we can have lots of questions. 
it comes down to this. My partner of almost 21 years, John, was dying of ALS. And we had always wanted to get married, but we lived in Ohio where that wasn't possible. And then when the Supreme Court struck down the Federal Defense of Marriage Act with their decision in United States versus Windsor, I proposed. And we got married inside a chartered medical jet in Maryland, flew home to Ohio. Then we were introduced to a civil rights attorney who said, do you guys get it? When John dies, his last official record as a person will be wrong because Ohio on his death certificate where it says marital status, they will enter unmarried. And Jim, your name will not be there where it says surviving spouse. It made us angry and it broke our hearts. So that's how we started our case. And then it became known as Obergefell v. Hodges just by virtue of timing. Okay. And then you got this, you know, it, it, you won in Ohio first and you lost when it was an appeal. And then, then you went to the Supreme Court uh, and then uh, finally it won. And, and I remember the day, and I think so many Americans who were tuned in rejoiced that day. Uh, what, you know, what did you just, what did you feel like when you won? Well, I still remember sitting in that courtroom, listening to Justice Kennedy read his decision. And as he began, my initial reaction was, well, we won. But then he kept reading and legal writing isn't always incredibly clear to those of us who aren't attorneys. So I found myself wondering, well, did we win? But then it sunk in that, yes, we did. And like people across, around the courtroom, I burst into tears. And not surprisingly, my first thought was of my late husband, John, wishing that he could be there, wishing that he could know that our marriage could never be erased. And then what surprised me was the realization that for the first time in my life as an out gay man, I felt like an equal American. And that's really that, that whole notion of equality for people who are ordinary Americans, who are living their lives, who want a, a name of that special person on a marriage license, want that surviving spouse on a death certificate. And similarly, again, the two big cases you know that we're talking about are, are yours. And then, of course, the Dobbs decision, which struck down Roe v. Wade, which now has women around the country feeling like second-class citizens. And so when when Kirk you know, uh, uh, tells us about Sisyphus constantly pushing the rock up the hill, uh, we we understand it's it's like this this never ends but it only you only lose if you stop fighting and so now that roe has been overturned and clarence thomas of all people said we need to be going back and looking at some of these other cases that we thought were settled law we thought settled the matter of of privacy for americans uh that that clarence thomas opinion uh, in the dobbs decision that had to be such a gut punch. It absolutely was. I mean, first off, the Dobbs decision is a gut punch for anyone in this country who believes we deserve and have the right to make decisions about our own bodies without government interference. So that was a terrible decision for our nation, not to mention women and anyone who's pregnant losing their right to make those choices. But then to have Justice Thomas Put a target on marriage equality, on the right to intimate relations and the privacy of your own home, and the right to birth control, in his concurring opinion, it's despicable. I can't think of any better word than despicable, because one decision he, did he forget? 
No, I'm pretty sure he didn't forget, but he neglected to mention a Supreme Court decision that benefits him directly. The Loving Loving versus Virginia. Correct. So here he is going after other marriages, the right to birth control, the right to intimate relations, but he ignores his very, that case that makes his marriage possible. It's just disgusting. Mm -hmm. And when you said that when the ruling came out, you for the first time in your life felt like a whole equal American. I have to tell you that I felt exactly the opposite when Dobbs came out. I felt like half of myself had suddenly disappeared. And it was, I know we knew it was coming, but that didn't make it any easier. No, in fact, I mean, I understand. I, I can't imagine what women across this country felt that day, other than anger, despair. And even though, you know, for the almost 50 years, Roe was in place, we knew they were coming for it. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Republican Party made no secret of the fact that they were coming for that right. And were we asleep at the wheel where we didn't at the state level do everything we could to protect that or to pass a constitutional amendment? Absolutely. But... Even with that knowledge that they were coming for it, it still doesn't make it any easier. That's for certain. So I, that was a dark day in our nation. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Mm-hmm. So since that time, there has been an effort to codify marriage rights into federal statute because this Supreme Court has taught us that, well, th- that they're now adjudicated liars. They had said that Roe was settled law, and they talked about stare decisis and that they would not go back and and overturn things. And so the rights that were protected by Supreme Court decisions had the force of law. But when we see how easily politicians in robes can now strip away those things when they don't agree with them any longer— it's time to put those things into statute. And Senator Tammy Baldwin was among those leaders to have marriage equality codified into law, something, Jim, that I'm, I'm sure you thought was well overdue, but definitely uh, something that had to be done. Well, I'm of the mind that it, it angers me that it had to be done, period. And this goes back to your your comments about the Supreme Court. They are supposed to protect precedents. They are supposed to make decisions based on precedents. They are not supposed to because of their personal religious beliefs, because in my opinion, this is clearly based on their religious beliefs, not not law, their religious beliefs, which is the same reason they're, they're opposed to marriage equality, their religion. It's just, I'm angry that it had to happen, that we have to fight to to put these rights into law because we shouldn't have to when the Supreme Court has ruled. Now, the Respect for Marriage Act, I'm not a fan. Number one, I think it's misnamed. It does not respect us or our marriages. It does not respect our rights as citizens of this country to get married. Sure, I'm happy it's there as a backstop should the Supreme Court overturn Obergefell, But all the Respect for Marriage Act does is say that all states must recognize same-sex marriages from other states. We can go back to a world where 
a couple, let's say there's a couple here in Ohio where I live, a same-sex couple. Ohio's one of the many states that still has a state-level Defense of Marriage Act on the books. If Obergefell is overturned, the state could immediately decide to stop issuing marriage licenses to those same-sex couples. It is not equality and it is not respect to tell a same-sex couple they have to go to another state. And Jim, that's a point I want to make before, uh, and then we'll turn things over to Kirk here. But when Roe v. Wade was struck down, what it did was it took a a national Mm -hmm. right and said, the politicians that favored it said, you know, we're okay with the checkerboard of states where women don't know what right they have in this state or what right they have in that state. For all the people that love to talk about states' rights, um, that that's the the result is that checkerboard. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that this is going to be the case with with marriage as well. When again, it shreds the notion of e pluribus unum that we that you know that we are one country that we go with these states' rights whenever it's convenient. Correct. And much like the right to an abortion now, I give the example of, I think it was a 12 or 13-year-old girl in Ohio who was raped. And she was forced to go to another state for an abortion. That is not fair for that 13-year-old girl. That is not fair for her family. That is just plain wrong. And the same thing with marriage to say, we don't want you in our state. Go somewhere else to get married. It all comes down to making sure we know that there are people in this country who despise us, who think we are less than human, and that we don't deserve the same rights that they enjoy. So let me take it take it up a notch to the bird's eye view. I, I'm s- sitting in front of the Capitol right now. I couldn't sit in front of the Supreme Court building because people are... Uh, you know, they're protesting the Supreme Court because of Roe or because of Dobbs. But it says in the Supreme Court, equal justice under mm-hmm. law, you know, and and I'm sitting in front of the Capitol. I feel that the Capitol building is is just like the, the Supreme Court building is should be just as politicized as the Capitol building that I'm sitting in front of right now. And that should not be the case. That's why there's two separate branches of government. And um, how, I mean, they've stare decisis settled law no longer matters because we've got three or three supreme court justices that were appointed within the last few years that don't seem to be fair judges what do you think about that i agree with you wholeheartedly and i think every person in this nation should be worried and I'll go back to this, this Dobbs decision, when the right to make decisions about your own body, the right to control your own body, when that is taken away, when that is not protected by our constitution, every other right we enjoy in this country is at risk. And if people don't believe that, they're fooling themselves. I have to imagine that as you took on this journey, you had no idea that you would end up having a last name that has a life of its own. I mean, let's be honest, you were just trying (laughs) to do the right thing. And then you found yourself in this place. And like, here you are, you're kind of a legend, Jim. (laughs) It's, it's, (laughs) it's surreal. It's bizarre. And honestly, I still, it still doesn't feel normal to me to hear or see my name used over and over again as shorthand for marriage equality. It doesn't seem possible. There are times I have to remind myself that they're actually talking about me because it just doesn't seem like 
this could be my life. But I always just come back to the fact that we started this lawsuit and we continued the fight. And I continued the fight after John died because it was simply the right thing to do. John and I deserve to exist in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of the government of Ohio, just like any other couple. It was the right thing to do. But yeah, it's really strange to have my name on a Supreme Court decision. And, and I like to joke that I've done a really good deed for all future Obergefells because more people will know how to pronounce that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, oh, I screwed it up. I, I've even gotten to know you and we'll talk about it in the next segment. I've gotten to know you before. I've been saying Ober Obergefell for the last three weeks. So I apologize, my friend. <laughs> Kurt, no, no worries. I don't get worked up about it. I've had 56 years to not care about people mispronouncing a very weird last name. President Obama can't pronounce it correctly. So do you think I'm going to get upset with you? No. I, okay. All right. So uh, I'm going to let Pat ask a question after this, but uh, I wanted to jump in and um, we're going to talk about what you did after the decision in the next segment. But before we leave uh, this segment, you know, there's a lot of people watching. A lot of people are excited that we just elected uh, a progressive Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin or in the primary. And there's a big, a big election in, in April. But uh, we have a lot of hope and a lot of people listening right now have a lot of hope. Um, what would you say to them in terms of your activism and how they can be more active? I mean, you you're you're a guy that's been trying to help protect people like you the lgtbq plus community for a long time what can you say to some of these people you know i will bring it down to this i'm a white cisgender gay man and i have no right to ask for my equality to to demand equality for myself if i'm not also fighting for and demanding that for every other marginalized community in this nation we are all part of we the people and we have got to live Believe that, live it, and fight for it. Because if we don't, it's clear what's going to happen. Many of us are going to be and have been excluded from we the people. And there's there are a lot of people in this country who want that and are more than happy to exclude others because they think it makes them feel safer. We have got to use our voice at the ballot box every single election. Kudos to you for electing a progressive I wish I could say the same about Ohio back in November. We had three Supreme Court justices up for election and they all went Republican. So good for you, but use your voice at the ballot box, contact your elected officials, use your voice in your community. Speak up when things are, are being done that are wrong. Speak up when things are being done that are the right things and they need people saying, this is what we stand for. This is what we're supposed to be about in this nation. So use your voice. And I'll say this, I find hope in the younger generations. They continue to give me hope because younger generations just do not see differences. They don't understand why older generations have this need to separate people and to treat people as less than human, just because they happen to be different. We are all human. And, so, the fact of the, and the fact of the matter is, you know, it is Gen Z to the rescue at this point, based on the immense voter turnout in Wisconsin on college campuses and other places. So before we go to break, let me look, close with a comment that I made on, on the Up North News Radio morning show as well, that when we're hearing about states' rights, and we're going to hear in these school board elections about parental rights, and we're going to hear about anti-woke, and we're going to hear about religious liberty. All of this is to say the exact same thing. My feelings 
about what should be taught in school and my feelings about gender and sexuality are better than anyone else's feelings, especially people who don't agree with me, who don't look like me, who don't share my culture and my lifestyle, which of course is the normal one. That's what they mean. Mm -hmm. by parental rights or states' rights or religious liberty. This is not about rights. As Jim just said, it's about exclusion. And we'll continue that conversation on the other side of this quick pause. I got a life to live in America. I got a life. So we're. Uh, uh, I wanted to play that song because uh, when the lights went down on the Supreme Court case Obergefell v. Hodges, uh, Jim didn't quit. Uh, he kept on going. He kept on being an activist. He found out what he was really made of after his spouse passed. He found out what he was made of after, uh, after uh, during the SCOTUS case, and, and, he, and he kept on. He kept on going. So, so, so Jim, tell us what happened after this case. Uh, where you were in the where you were in the lights and the lights went down. What what did you do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's, the simple thing to say is my life changed completely. I was never an activist. Neither John nor I were activists. But I found during the course of the of this case and of fighting for marriage equality and fighting for my husband, I discovered that there was an activist inside me, and I just needed to let that activist out and. I have to say it was easy because fighting for your loved one, fighting for the most important person in your world, fighting for your relationship to exist was a really easy motivator, really good motivator. But I realized I had to keep fighting because even with that decision on June 26, 2015, we, we still haven't enjoyed marriage equality. We have the right to get a marriage license and to get married in all 50 states. But all I have to do is mention Kim Davis, Masterpiece Bake Shop. There, in so many ways, we do not enjoy marriage equality. So I knew even at that point that I had to continue being involved, continued fighting. So I did. I, I've embraced the life of an activist. I left Cincinnati, where I'd lived for 30-some years. John's and my entire 21 years together was in Cincinnati. And I moved to Washington, D.C. And part of that was, I'll be honest, I saw... John, I saw the ghost of John in too many places around Cincinnati. I, I couldn't take it. But I also was becoming more active, more politically involved. So D.C. was a good spot to go. And I really enjoyed being in D.C. in the nation's capital. But I joined the board of SAGE, which advocates for older LGBTQ plus people. I'm on the advisory boards for the Mattachine Society of Washington, D.C., which does archive activism. I'm on the advisory board for the GLBT Historical Society. I'm on the board of WebQ. I was a staff member at Family Equality, an organization that advocates for queer families and queer people who want to form families. I have to keep fighting. I really do. And 
it's just part of who I am now. And, you know, that even took me to running for office because I really, I know if I hadn't been involved in this case, if I hadn't become an activist, running for office isn't something I would have ever done. And it's allowed me to do other things as well, which I know we'll talk about, which has to do with wine. So yeah, I, I've become an activist. It's just who I am now. I I can't keep quiet. And as I mentioned earlier, I have to keep fighting for all marginalized communities, not just not just white gay men. I'm fighting for everyone. And I think of our transgender community and the attacks they endure every single day, the way they're demeaned and demonized across our across our nation. That's that's I can't imagine being a trans person in our nation right now. But also, when is this country ever going to get rid of the cancer that is racism? There's so much that we need to do in this country to live up to what we say America, what the United States is about. So I'll keep fighting any way I can. Use my voice, use my time, use my energy to really help make this a better place. There are so many ways that you can do that too. And your story, yours and John's story reminds me so much of a dear friend of mine here in Green Bay who lost his partner a few years ago and has been able to turn some of his energy into a wonderful fund, the Canary Fund that supports nonprofits in our area. I reached out to him, Pete Angelillo. I think he's watching tonight. And he had a question he wanted me to share with you. So if if you'll indulge me. Absolutely. Pete, Pete asked, I've been wondering lately about the good trouble that many of us are involved in where we may not see the benefits of that work in our lifetimes. Was it difficult for you at times to continue your work of securing marriage rights for all when you might not see that day come before John passed? And what carried you forward on those days? You know, there were certainly times when it was difficult difficult to keep fighting, especially after John died. I mean, I can't say at least we won our our first hearing in federal district court three months to the day before John died. So we had three months where we knew our marriage had to be recognized by the state of Ohio and John died a married man. But there were certainly times after that where it was difficult to keep going, but I knew I had to for a couple of reasons. Number one, I promised John to love, honor, and protect him. And the only way I could do that was to keep fighting for our marriage to exist, for us to exist. But it was also that realization that I was part of a movement to make the world better for people who come after me. And I know I'm in debt to people like Edie Windsor, Frank Kameny, Marsha P. Johnson, so many people who came before me and were part of a fight that made my life as a closeted gay kid, easier than it was for them 20, 30, 40 years before. So there was never any doubt in my mind that I would keep fighting because I was doing it not just for John and me, I was doing it to make the world a better place for others. And that's what keeps me going. That's what I have to keep fighting for because, and I'll share this because this, to me, this just really encapsulates why I keep fighting. I spoke at the University of Tennessee last year, and after I finished, a young woman came up to me and she said, Jim, I just want you to know, if it weren't for marriage equality, I would have committed suicide. I don't think many people would, would say, oh, a lawsuit is something that would save someone's life. 
but it did. And I know she isn't the only one. So for me, that's why I keep fighting. That's why I keep getting involved in good trouble because I owe it to the people who come after me. I want their lives. I want their world to be better than what I grew up in. And they are, they're watching, they're, they're commenting. I was looking at the comments just now that have come in that, uh, that are thanking you for what you've done. And speaking of good trouble from Kristen's question, I would note that yesterday would have been John Lewis's 83rd birthday. Mm. And he would, he would want everything that you're doing to continue along with all the support that you're getting. Let's close out this segment of, of, start with a, a few biographical pickups before we get into what you're doing these days. And apparently you're, you're uh, dealing with some unsavory characters, uh, you know, who brew beer in Northern Wisconsin, <laughs> but, but before you threw your life away that way, you, you wrote a book, you ran for Congress. Um, you know, you've talked about being an activist, but I mean, you really put yourself out there, even to the point of putting yourself on the, ballot or was it, uh, I'm sorry, legislature in Ohio, uh, you know, why did you do that? <laughs> Maybe I lost my mind. I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, look, every one of us has run and lost. Yeah. So, I was gonna yeah. Tell, yeah you're you talking to, to a bunch you. of failed, failed politicians here. <laughs> <laughs> well, We've well, all been there. <laughs> it, it's funny. speeches love company. You know? <laughs> well, I, I will give credit where credit is due. Um, on July 4th, 2015. So just after the decision, I was in Philadelphia for several days of events and it was the 50th anniversary of marches organized by Frank Kameny to protest the treatment of queer people in America. And I had the chance to meet Brian Sims, formerly of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, Opal Nike. And at the end of the night, I was leaving and he said, Jim, Jim, hold up. And he sat me down and he said, Jim, people are going to start mentioning public service to you. He said, do me a favor. When they do, don't just say no. He said, just at least think about it. So he planted the seed in 2015. And when I moved back to my hometown of Sandusky, Ohio, it'll be two years in June. I didn't move back think, planning to run for office. Wasn't even a consideration. I just wanted to be close to my family again. And then someone said, Jim, would you consider running for the Ohio House of Representatives? And I realized this is the right time. It's the right place. And I saw how crazed so much of the Ohio le state legislature legislature is. And I mm -hmm. thought this is a way for me to keep fighting, to make things better, to actually make Ohio a better place. So for me, it was a relatively easy decision, even though it was overwhelming, a little bit scary, but it was something that just felt like the right thing to do. I wanted to be a voice of common decency and humanity in the state house. And unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Thank you, gerrymandering, but <laughs> at least I tried. Yep. So, so Jim, let's get to the part now where w w the reason you're on the show today is that I was doing a, a beer tasting in Evanston, Illinois. And uh, a guy came up uh, who had, who knew me and he's like, you know, you guys, you got to get in touch with Equality Vines. They're basically doing the same thing that you're doing with beer, with wine. And so he put me in touch with Matt Groves, who's uh, your partner uh, in, in Equality Vines. And I, and, I, and I emailed him and I was like, like are you kidding me? Is Jim Obergefell really a co-owner of, of, of this vineyard? And if so, 
can can I work with you guys somehow or another? Because I love what you're doing, and I look at your website, and you're making all these great wines that are you're giving you're giving part of your profits to uh, to different causes. Um, so so we partnered up, and now uh, we're making a, a choice Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, he knows a lot more than Sauvignon Blanc than I do, because uh, I'm a beer maker. But he's using my label that I use for a hard seltzer and for our Kolsch. So so Jim, talk to us about w- what led you to to start a cause-based winery in Sonoma County? Well, Matt, my, my business partner will say it's because he cyber-stalked me. <laughs> <laughs> and turns out his ex-wife and I have a friend in common. So he had a connection. And I was in DC. This was before the decision. And he called me out of the blue. I had no idea who this guy was, but we had a conversation. And he said, well, I have some ideas for a wine business Let's get together for dinner sometime. So we met in New York, where over two, three, four, we lost track, <laughs> lost count of how many bottles of wine we had. <laughs> we we decided to launch this business called Equality Vines. And our whole concept was we wanted to do really good wine. We didn't want to put junk wine in a bottle and put a rainbow on it. We wanted it to be, first off, premium wines, but wines that supported organizations fighting for equality. So that every time we sell a bottle of that wine, that equals a donation to that organization. Each wine is tied to a specific organization. So we have wines that support women's rights, LGBTQ plus rights, immigrants' rights, and we'll continue to expand that. And I'm proud to say that since our first wine came out, which was Love Wins Cuvée, that came out in the summer of 2016, we have donated more than $250,000 to our partner organizations. Wow. And it's been a blast. It's been so much fun. And I also love this because it isn't just my story of activism and fighting for rights that are the basis of this. Matt as well has a really compelling story about his Aunt Marilyn. His Aunt Marilyn worked in New York for NBC in the 70s. And she got sick and tired of being asked by her male colleagues to get her a cup of coffee. Happened one too many times. And she decided to file. And she led the first major class action lawsuit for gender pay and opportunity equality in the workplace. And it took about eight years, but she won. And she had passed away. And Matt wanted to do a wine to honor her. And he was thinking, well, maybe I'll do something around marriage equality because When she passed away, she lived in Texas. He was in Texas and he realized her partner of more than 40 years had no say in anything, had no rights, had nothing, even though they'd been together for decades. So he said he Googled gay marriage and whose face was the first thing that popped up? Mine. So (laughs) that was, that was what prompted it all. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. We, we have some great labels. In fact, one that honors his aunt Marilyn is called get your own damn coffee Chardonnay. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So It's really been a blast. And the thing that I love is we don't make our own wines. We partner with wineries and winemakers to make them for us. And there are several wineries that have never made wine for anyone else. But when they meet us and they hear about our, our company and what we stand for, they make wine for us, even though they don't do it for anyone else. And to me, that says what we're doing is really good and, and it resonates with people. That's amazing. And, and so you're doing this with wine. Kirk's been doing what he does with beer. Do you know anybody that 
makes bourbon because Kristen and I are feeling left out. And I'm, thinking, I'm a gynecologist, so I have a different skill set. Yeah, that, that, doesn't, really that doesn't work there. Jim Obergefell, thank you so much. You you honor us by uh, being here and talking with us uh, about about your case, about your story, and about the work everybody should be happy to do going forward so that we all can, in fact, uh, have equal justice under the law. Thank you so much. Thank you all very much. I really enjoyed it. We'll be back. When the lights go down My faith is getting stronger Ever stronger as I try With everything that's in me This dream will never die The call is ever louder When I hear the battle cry As we All right, so we started the segment with uh, Jim with a Rufus Wainwright song that said, America sometimes really stinks. Uh, but as, as we've seen, the fire inside of Jim uh, is, is still burning bright. And no matter how many times you get knocked down, uh, you know, Roe was overturned after 50 years. We're worried about uh, gay marriage, um, you know, I'm sitting right here, and, and the architecture of the United States Capitol told me I had to play a patriotic song uh, in a gospel version because it inspires me. America inspires me, and we keep on having this sense of being born again. There's some Christianity themes in here. We, we can be born again as America, and do can, we can do better than we're doing now. And I'm not going to lose hope, and especially I'm not going to lose hope because we, guys, we got guys like Jim Obergefell uh, still fighting. What do you think, Kristen? I am not losing hope at all, and here's why. I think we started turning things around in Wisconsin in 2020. And I think that people are really getting a sense of what's at stake here and that they have to use their voice and their talent and whatever it takes to pull us back together again. So, no, I'm not losing hope, but I'm also not sitting back. My foot's on the gas and I'm trying to drum up as much enthusiasm and create that hope in people because I think there are a lot of people out there who do feel like it's not going in the right direction. Pat? It's, it's not, but they, they, they carry on the fight. You won't be able to because there's a wild mountain lion behind you. Uh, from Hi, what I can son, see in the video. Through the cat in here. <laughs> and Did you see the look on my face? Yes, it's a wild, monstrous beast. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm more of a dog person. We understand this. Uh, look, for, for me, the, the, the bottom line of this that Jim was explaining and that we, we talk about in our fight is love. We love Wisconsin. We... I think the best theme song out there, and I try to have, have a good one with Crossfire, and Todd Alba has has one on, on his with George Michael's Freedom, but I actually think it's our old friend Kristen Bry for her As Goes Wisconsin radio show. The theme for that one is, is Joan Jett's I Hate Myself for Loving You, and <laughs> there are times when when love causes stress, but if you believe in it, you keep fighting for it. And that includes fighting to love the person that you want to love, even when somebody else, and let me turn that phrase around on somebody, wants to cram their agenda down your throat. I'm tired of hearing that about people when they're the ones doing the cramming. We all deserve 
to love where we live. We all deserve to love that person that we think is our partner. And we deserve to do that with this sense of equality. And we can only do that when we have protection under the law. And then when we have respect for one another. And the second one is kind of a tall order because we're filled, frankly, with some very hateful people right now out there. You had this week as the president of the United States was in a war zone. You had a congresswoman from Georgia saying, we need a national divorce and we need the red states to secede. Well, her relationships don't work out so well, and neither is Marjorie Taylor Greene's relationship with Congress and with this country. We're going to show her and the others how love for a country really works. And sometimes that means hunkering down and doing the work. Kirk, thanks for doing the work to get us together again and making the trip out to D.C. All right. Thanks so much, guys. And thanks, uh, everyone, for listening. Uh, thanks for joining uh Pat and Kristen in Wisconsin and the Up North podcast went to D.C. this week. Uh, we will see you up north next week. Uh, have a wonderful night. Lord.